Hi, my name is Titi Mutendi and you are listening to Enterprising Families Podcast. Welcome to the world of Enterprising Families where we discuss the issues of governance, next gen and looking at how families of wealth and family businesses growing into families of wealth can preserve their wealth, become better as they go forward into a new generation. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Enterprising Families and in this episode I have the amazing Keith Drury and he's going to be sharing and talking to me about some of the global macro themes that have occurred this year and we all know that 2020 has been quite an interesting year with so many different things popping up here there and everywhere. Welcome Keith. Thank you very much Titi, that's very kind of you to, um, to invite me on your podcast. Brilliant. And before we jump into our meaty issues of today, I'd just like you to just introduce yourself so people can get to know who you are. Sure. Well, I've been uh, working in on behalf of um, families for over 35 years. Um, originally, I was uh, originally from the UK. I was lucky enough to become and be asked to come and work in Australia over 30 years ago. And, uh, and as a consequence, was was. Uh, was all too keen to do so. The climate is slightly different here, as you can imagine, than it is in London. Um, in that time, I've worked for wealth management firms, worked for uh, global accounting firms, and at present, I'm uh, working within KPMG, which of course is one of the big four accounting firms globally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that firm, I work within the enterprise practice, and our work is focused on the mid-market in Australia, and more broadly, obviously, and globally. But uh, in Australia, that work focuses on family businesses, family offices, uh, and uh, within private companies. My work in particular is focused around family offices. Mm-hmm. So whilst uh, uh, obviously I work for KPMG, I also, um, I'm obviously pleased to be involved here, but um, I'd just like to caveat that any of my comments are my own and not those that would be endorsed necessarily by KPMG. Brilliant. So let us jump into our topics of today. Today, our topic is looking at the global macro themes of what's been going on around us. And we've had many interesting conversations around the goings on of the world. So I'll start with the, with the biggest event of 2020, the one we were ill-prepared for mentally, never mind physically, which is COVID-19 and well, it became a 2020 phenomenon, but then by the sheer name of it, it started in 2019. And then in 2020, we all got caught up in in a storm that I think we were ill-prepared because we didn't listen to uh, our history as as much as the world, because it's, it's not a new thing, is it? Um, these it's, It is a, a respiratory disease and we've had quite a number and in 19, is it 1919, we had one that also, so almost 100 years later, we're facing the same issues. What are your thoughts on COVID-19 and how it has impacted the family business world in terms of resilience and actually having a, a look at how we operate our businesses and the issues that are impacting us because of it? Um. Well, thank you. It's, it is obviously, uh, as you say, I think in your, uh, 
in your introduction to the question there, you were you were alluding to the fact that there was probably something that we were aware of and we probably should have paid more attention to. And I think that was probably uh, something which, like with all of these things, we do seem we do tend to um, uh, reflect with the benefit of hindsight on what it is that we failed to do. I think in the context of how people have responded and reacted, that's clearly been a function of the ability of governments to be able to enable the sense of we're all in this together to be as powerfully and uh, as, as ably directed as it possibly could. Uh, I'm sitting here in Australia and of course, um, as you may be aware, uh, the incidence of the disease in Australia has been managed very effectively from my perspective. Um, because several things, one, A, the size of the population relative to other countries, of course, allows that perhaps mm -hmm. to be easier to do. But certainly the willingness of, uh, of governments across both federal and state to combine and collaborate as a basis for managing the disease has been, has been very, uh, has, has been proven to be um, as more successful perhaps than other places. Mm -hmm. um, in the context of family business, like any other businesses, I think they've had to um, think very carefully, of course, about uh, the nature of the impact on what it is they do from a business perspective, primarily, mm -hmm. uh, understand what it is that uh, is required as a measured response to the impact of the measures designed to flatten the curve, as it were, mm -hmm. and then uh, separately, um, understand the implications of what has happened as a consequence of those measures in particular uh, of course the acceleration of the use of technology um, the review of many supply chains and the processes by which um, goods are manufactured and sold and the basis upon which customers are engaged with so all of those things have been necessary for all businesses to assess in the context of family businesses i think it's also been a very, um, uh, it, it's enabled perhaps them to think more clearly about some of the risks that they have had to deal with from the point of view of um, the nature of their, uh, their family relationship, the nature of the way in which they have um, uh, dealt with uh, an increase in what might be called um, third-party bad actors from the point of view of increases in the nature of cyber security and all the issues around um, cyber risk uh, which has obviously been heightened um, but fundamentally of course it's enabled them to also have a little bit more time perhaps to reflect on those things which are most important and obviously the most important things within a family business is the family itself mm -hmm. and so to some extent i think we've witnessed a greater level of um, of families coming together to understand the implications of the COVID and the management of the pandemic on the family unit as a whole, which has been, I think, something which will stand many of those families in good stead. Mm -hmm. And I think globally, I suspect there has also been a uh, reaffirmation of the strength of families in business in particular as being capable of demonstrating higher levels of resilience. I suspect that to a large extent, you may also, and this is a very broad generalization, but you could also perhaps suggest that the nature of their more conservative outlook as regards the use of debt 
mm. uh, may well stand them in good stead at some point in the future, if not at this point. So in general terms, I think that the nature of the family as a business or the unit of a family business has been a very, very um, solid foundation on which um, to withstand the impact of the pandemic. Mm. But as we reflected, I think that's obviously different depending upon where you are. Uh, and if a government has been successful in being able to coalesce its people around the idea of joint action in order to ameliorate the impact, then that's clearly slightly different to many other places where there may not have been the same levels of bipartisan support for some of the actions that governments have taken. Yeah, I think um, in reflection, just looking at us, myself as a family business um, in, in my country, and I think a lot of other countries on the continent, we haven't been as fortunate as, um, as countries like your own in terms of getting that support from business and um, being able to um, have that support that enable us to continue um, our businesses. And I've seen a lot of businesses over the last few months having to fold and families not being clear as to what to do, having to start over and not even knowing how to start over. And I think that has had a, a runover effect because as a family, when we start your businesses, you're looking at wanting to be financially independent, obviously, and be able to offer more financially for your family, as well as offering um, products and services. And so during this time, we realized that some of the products and services that were necessary pre-COVID are no longer priorities to our communities in some ways. Um, I think the most successful businesses, um, I'm not sure if this, the same applies, have been businesses that have been primarily in food and healthcare. And those businesses that have been able to pivot or adjust to be able to support the food and healthcare industries, because obviously when it goes down to being in lockdowns and having to look after yourself and your families, the first thing you think of is, do we have enough to eat? And are we um, safe from a physical point of view, from a health point of view? And also looking at, um, as a continent as Africa, we have a very young demographic. So schools were really affected by this. And um, I think the businesses, the family businesses that had young children have been affected in a way where maybe those children would be disadvantaged in terms of their education at the moment. So it's, um, it's been a very hard time on the continent in, in general. It's mostly the COVID itself hasn't impacted as hardly as hard as we thought it would on the healthcare system, but it has really Im impacted on the economic system of our countries and the economic um, system that then heavily affects the biggest supporters of it, which is family businesses. When you had months on months sitting at home and no, um, no financial support from anyone and mm. trying to just figure it out. Well, yes, and again, I suppose that's a major contrast between uh, a country like Australia, which obviously has the capacity to be able to inject significant amounts of government 
support and stimulus mm -hmm. into the economy through the use of um, relief mechanisms which provide for ongoing maintenance of staff where the businesses themselves may well be forced to close or shut for an extended period as a consequence of the lockdown processes. Um, you know, you comments are very interesting in comparison, obviously, as you may be aware, uh, obviously the incidence of the disease within aged populations seems to be far more severe than it is within young populations. And mm -hmm. therefore it's, it's probably may not be as surprising to see those uh, incidents of death rates within the continent of Africa as high as they are in other um, slightly older populations. That's the first point. Mm -hmm. I think the issue around education is a very, very, very important point because um, whilst we have um, to a great extent um, had to, across all states, um, take children out of school and have uh, what you might uh, as distance learning and mechanisms by which that could occur. The actual capacity to do that was relatively straightforward to implement as a consequence of the technology that was available and in the hands of all school children. Mm. The fear for me in relation to Africa would be that we're the nature of the education system still remains to some extent um, a voluntary um, uh, and not uh, something which was regarded as necessarily as vitally important from the point of view of other competing needs, such as looking after the family over a certain age, particularly those which would be regarded as secondary age education here in, in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that they are no longer able to go to school for any extended period is not a good sign because it doesn't necessarily mean that people they will be an immediate rush back to go into school again. I assume. I assume is is that is that fair to say? Um, I think on the continent we have um, when it comes to education we've put it as uh, of paramount necessity. It's within the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs on the continent. However, I, um, I, I worry about the execution of the concept. Sometimes lip service um, makes it seem like something is critical, but then when it comes to actual execution, you realize that there is a lot of gaps that need to be assessed and addressed. And in this case, um, technology failed us although it's, um, it helped a lot of other countries outside the continent to be able to adapt and go online. Um, as I always say, I, for me, I was able to get my children online. I, I own a school, so my students were able to, to get online, but then we are just a small minority compared to the vastness of the continent and the number of, of children that really need that education that make up a critical mass on, on the continent. And yes, you've had governments um, trying to stimulate and keep education going by um, introducing radio education where children have been having their schooling through radio. But then you find that these are very... Um, it's like going back into the, back into the past to use a resource that was used before technology had advanced the way it is. It showed um, the great divide between the, the populations of Africa, the haves, the have-nots, 
And then it also, I think, highlighted the fact that as much as you might have that great divide, COVID was very exposing of the fact that we're all in the same boat. As long as we have certain uh, people in our population that do not have access to the basic things like education and healthcare, you are as exposed as the person with the least access because it's looking into the future more than um, looking at our current situation. Any child that does not have access to education right now impacts our workforce. It impacts our ability to develop as a nation, our ability to make decisions that um, are forward thinking or are future thinking because that person hasn't had access. That person doesn't know what's going on in the world. That person is very is, is in the dark. So as long as you have people in the dark and no access to technology on the scale of other people, that skew, no matter how we like to see it and show the beautiful side of um, our continent, that skew will come back to bite us just the same way as COVID came to bite the planet Earth and everybody in it. You cannot leave people behind or neglect a certain demographic thinking that I'm fine. So it doesn't really matter what happens to the next person. And so I think th those are some of the, the, the realities that have been hitting us on the continent. And as family businesses, obviously we have different families from different demographics, different businesses from different demographics. And those who come from um, a demographic where they're serving a lower end market or a market, the mass market as we refer it to it here, if, though, if the mass market wasn't able to, to go to work or don't have jobs or couldn't, uh, find any form of income, that means automatically those family businesses are also equally impacted because who's going to buy from them? Where are they going to get the money to buy? So it's, it's become like a domino effect that we might not see immediately. The impact of what we see immediately is nothing compared to the impact that we're going to see six months to a year from now. Yes, and I don't think that that's any different to um, many other places as, as some of those stimulus packages that I mentioned become unwound. Uh, and what is the gradual process by which that occurs? And of course, what that means is there is obviously a, 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 t a sense of ensuring that we open the economy up as quickly as possible. And of course, the danger of that, as, as may have been witnessed elsewhere, is, is that you, you see a continuation of the infection rate and as a consequence it, it's kind of like two steps forward one step back or even three steps back if mm -hmm. the wave is such of such significance um, but in context of uh, obviously the, what it means in relation to uh, to how family businesses as I say have, have thought to deal with these issues clearly it, it's it's likely that there'll be people who are winners and losers depending upon the nature of their capacity to, or what it is they were doing originally, mm -hmm. what impact this has, as you suggested, on the marketplace in which they sell the, their goods or services into, mm. and to what extent are they able to be capable of um, changing and, uh, and, and adapting to the nature of what it is they do and how they do it. Mm. Um, 
but there's also, I suspect, um, it will have some flow on impact clearly in relation to um, the willingness of subsequent generations to continue to run those businesses mm -hmm. at some point. Mm -hmm. um, to what extent they would embrace some of the uh, nature of the responsibility that such a pandemic has placed on the shoulders of many owners of these businesses, mm. nor indeed perhaps the capacity or willingness of those current controllers and owners to wish for that same experience to be borne by their children. Mm. Um, so we'll wait and see as to how all of this plays out as regards the impact on the nature of succession of itself but it seems that it will inevitably will have some psychological impact i'd have thought as regards the uh, capacity of the next generation to wish to be involved mm. and i think also just thinking about that and um, moving from COVID 19 there has been some other issues that have flared up during this year We've got um, issues of um, climate change, where we have seen nature somewhat behaving differently from what we've we've known it to be, and um, I think to a certain extent that has um, compounded things like COVID as well, because and in even food production because we can no longer foretell the seasons the way we used to be able to. And it could, in, in some cases, it's led to loss of crops. And in some cases um, with, with the weather changes, it's obviously then impacted the reaction to COVID because as it is, we are looking at a second wave of COVID and you, we can see the some of the things that one of the things that seems to be feeding into this is the climatic change where when it started it was it started initially in china but it went all over the world and seemed to be um, to be following a climate a climatic cycle where when it's cold in certain regions it flares up and it it seems to go like a wildfire and when it's hot it seems to die down a bit but then it could be that it's not COVID itself but then also our reaction to it because in summer everybody wants to get out they want the sun they want to they want to feel some sort of normalcy and in winter we're okay staying indoors we were like okay we can lock down in winter because it's cold already it saves me having to to commute to an office or get out of the house and in summer we want to get out so maybe in summer we could say we've been trying to ignore it and go back to normal because we just want to feel some sort of normalcy what do you think on what are your thoughts on climate change and how it's it's going to impact family businesses as well as um the world as we know it going forward? Um, that's a rather big question, isn't it? <laughs> uh, it is. Uh, let me, let me, well, let me, let's, let's start first and foremost that, um, you know, perhaps I think I think it's pretty much pretty well certain that if there's any benefit that derives from this pandemic, and I hope that obviously there will be, one of the first things that hopefully becomes more important is the relevance of science 
in context of decision making. And clearly, um, a lot of how governments have reacted and responded has been led by the health community and medical community. And they're obviously deep understanding of the nature of how the virus spreads and therefore what it is that is required in order to mitigate the impact of the um, quite virulent nature of the of the virus itself. So that mm -hmm. that's led by scientists. And in Australia, I suspect that many of the people who are now more well known than they were six to eight months ago are the chief medical officers of the various states and, and of the federal government. Mm. Um, uh, and we've seen the similar situation in, in America, albeit rather more uh, pointedly as, as, as probably less than ideal with the relationship between Fauci and, and the President of the United States to some extent. But mm -hmm. putting that to one side, the, the hopeful benefit would be that the evidence from science would be such that we would more easily accept what we are told by scientists and do something about it. Mm. Um, you know, however, um, you know, to what extent that's possible when you have a situation where you have to find a way to rekindle the economy and, and, and drive economic growth, um, then obviously the it's not necessarily the case that one can continue to survive on a basis of lockdown, as, which diminishes the um, diminishes perhaps economic activity and by consequence diminishes our carbon emissions, which has been demonstrated as having had occurred over the last little while. Mm -hmm. But climate change was something that everybody knew about. Let's face it, it was people being, I think we'd be rather... Uh, I don't think many people would um, deny that there were um, people um, making us aware of the issues of climate change in the late 70s, early 80s of the last century. So it's not as if we haven't um, been forewarned to some extent. Mm. Um, and I suspect that goes back to this nature of to what extent, you know, what is the nature of the recovery process and what is the nature of what we recover to and how do we actually think about that from the point of view of um, what it is that we would seek to have happen and the concept of course of building back better becomes something which I'm sure you're familiar with and I'm sure many others are familiar with but it does seem fairly obvious that there is a greater level of uh, public support behind the proposition that if we are going to come out the other side let's at least think about what the impact of that is from an environmental perspective as well. So I'm quietly and hopefully more optimistic about those things because uh, not only does um, the climate change impact upon the nature of seasonality, it also impacts on the prevalence of bushfires. And of course, the COVID pandemic followed very heavily on the worst bushfires in Australia's history. Mm. Uh, in the period from November, October through to January, February this year. Mm. And similar issues, of course, are being faced not just in Australia in the past, but obviously in California, in the Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, obviously that's, that's, that's a key concern from the point of view of what does that mean? Well, from a primary production perspective, it means a significant amount, I suspect. It means, you know, what is the nature of how do we manufacture and make food and how do we 
use the resources that we have available and what is the uh, what is the nature of what we have to do in order to uh, think about developing more sustainable um, mechanisms for the delivery of food mm. that's the first point mm. um, in context of the impact on and it would it would take too long and far too <laughs> and, I, and I suspect that we would be here from for the next three or four hours discussing all the various ramifications but you know the industries that are likely to be affected of course range through from insurance through to uh, you know the nature of um, of financial services and all manner of means of other things are deeply and imp impacted by by the effects of climate change without question mm. in my mind I absolutely agree with you. Well, we've run out of time for today's session and I would just like to thank you for sharing um, and, and having this interesting discussion with me where we um, explored the world around us and the impacts of what has been going on around us. And I think very rarely do we get um, opportunities like this to just have these discussions where we throw around ideas and thought processes. So I'd like to thank you and just ask you if you've got any parting words you would like to share with our listeners. Um, no, no. I, as I say, I think there's been a great pleasure to be able. It's very rarely that you get to opine on something, of course, which you're not an expert. So that's the first quality. So anything I've said is is purely my own opinion, and, uh -huh. and obviously, you know, comes from comes from uh, comes from that. But um, I think the resilience element is vitally important. And mm -hmm. uh, if we have, I, and I'm very hopeful as well, because you, if you see the nature of what has occurred as regards the capacity for community to unite, mm -hmm. then then I believe that uh, there's great hope around that. And of course, uh, the nature of families as a unit, I think has become stronger to a certain extent as a consequence of those things. Mm. We might have to spend more time together in lockdown. And as a consequence, we've probably found it sometimes frustrating, but at the same time, I suspect we've also realized what uh, and become thankful for what it is um, that we have. Mm, I completely agree with you. Resilience has been um, a, a very key word, action, and experience for everybody from um, a family level to a business level and to a global level where we've had to make it through a difficult time. And I think we've all been in the same boat in, in a lot of instances and uh, we've all had to pick up an oar and help navigate and sometimes not knowing where we're going or how we, where we're going to end up. And I think that's also one of the beauties of family. When we're together with people we, we've known all our lives or that we've known to come to, um, to just know I can, I can count on this person in um, in business, sometimes it doesn't look that way when everything is the normal. But when you get into situations like um, what we've had to experience in 2020, we've had to come together. We've been forced to have family assemblies, family councils, and ultimately just talk to each other. And I think that has been so critical. Good. And, and congratulations to you as well and to Nikkei in context of what you've done vis-a-vis -vis the capacity for your um, institute in particular to seek out um, opinion and, and uh, ideas from 
across the globe. And so if anything, again, one of the great benefits that's accrued is the simple fact that I'm sitting here in my house in Sydney talking to you in Harare, yes. which, of course, is quite wonderful and, and a great pleasure. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.